0: Word, and remain standing for a prayer following. This is the book of James toward the end of the New Testament. We're in the first chapter moving forward. We're on verses 17 and 18 today. For your convenience, they're on the screen, and I read them now. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures this is the word of god for the people of god, be to god. amen let's pray with me heavenly father we come before you this morning and ask you to prepare us for what you have for us i know that uh, sometimes you say things that are um, uncomfortable but also challenging ways that help us to grow and become more like your son so help us to hear you to listen from a place of uh, understanding and awareness but also knowing that you love us and that you're guiding us into places where you need us to be and not in places that are harmful but rather of healing and restoration so I thank you for that, and I ask now, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would be with us in this service, in this message, and that your word would come to us. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we, we've been working through the book of James. In this first chapter, there's been a lot of different things we've covered, including testing, temptation, and Scripture even tells us God doesn't... Uh, tempt anybody. He will allow us to be tested, but not tempt us. And the uh, verses for today pull off of that a little bit by saying that God is the one who gives good gifts. Obviously, temptation is not a good gift. And that's not from God. The gifts that are not good, sin, evil, darkness, are not from God. Anything you experience in your life that does not come across as being loving, gracious, kind, or from a loving Father's heart, is not from God. There are things people attribute to God that God did not do, but God, as I said, didn't do those. And I want to share with you that all God is trying to do is bring you into the image of His Son and remold and transform you into His children and mature believers in Christ. Now, it's not a bad thing to say But it's difficult sometimes to take those understandings of what it means to grow and mature and then to break it down into basic elements that we don't think about. As a matter of fact, there are some elements of the faith that I hadn't thought about, probably maybe heard once or twice years gone by, but hadn't thought about them for a long time. Didn't make connections with them. Maybe I wasn't ready yet, or maybe we weren't ready yet. But when I went to the conference a week and a half ago... I began to hear some things here that I did not know or did not remember or did not link these pieces together. And now when those pieces got put together, something changed dramatically for me. And I believe that same thing will change dramatically for you and for this church. This particular church by what we do today. Now those are bold statements But I've witnessed it in my life and I can't explain it real well other than to say I know God had to have done it. And so I'm thankful for His work and His will. Are you excited or would you be excited if all of a sudden you woke up one day and you knew God heard every word you said, was attentive, loved you, was walking with you, and was bringing circumstances in your life every day in supernatural ways. Would you be looking forward and excited that to happen in your life? I think it would be the most wonderful thing for you to experience that as I have begun to experience that in ways I've never experienced that. It it just... I don't know how to explain it well. It just transforms the way I'm thinking. I used to wonder how I'd make it through the walk with Christ, you know, try to lead, try to do that. And all of a sudden, those questions aren't there anymore. The doubts and the fears and the worries are gone. There's no question in my mind that God has us as a church and me as a person and as a pastor in the right place at the right time doing the right things with the right message for the right reasons. That I have no question in my mind and when those old voices they used to say are you sure, are you sure, do you know would come up and, and I'd bring them up and I'd go, oh I know. And there's something that it's, that's negated all the negative stuff. And this morning, I'm going to give you a piece of that to apply. And we're going to apply it to this church. We've been waiting seven years and 13 days for this message. Had I known that it was going to come at this time, I would have probably circumvented it, jumped it, preempted it, and done it too soon. But we're at the right place for this message. And and these two verses fall into line in the book of James at the exact right time for this to be true. God does not make a mistake with timing. He does not say, I'm late or I'm early. He's right on time. When I was looking and praying about this message, I said, God, oh, if this were just in that passage. And there it was. And I said, that's awesome. You put it right there for us to see. And, uh, And I've read this passage... In James, these two verses many times and never saw it. When God gives revelation on a verse or something in your life, it's because you're ready. That's why the same verse can be read many times with different meanings for you. And definitely different meanings for others who read it. Because there are different levels of growth in our life and preparation. And the deeper truths of God are what He wants us to go to. I'm ready for that for you. I'm hungry for that for you. And I definitely am thankful that God is leading us there. So let's look at verse 17 where he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Now, we talked about this a few Sundays ago about God not having any darkness whatsoever. However, when we turn from God, what we see is darkness. We may be standing in God's presence, but if our back is to God, there's a shadow that we cast forward, although the light is shining on us. We're looking at darkness. I'm in God's presence, but my back to it, there's a shadow cast. You see what I mean? And sometimes we think God has created the shadow. But it's because we're looking away from what God has called us to. And, and get this, I'm going to put a piece in here for you that, that I didn't intend to this morning. But a few years ago, we did a sermon series called Turning 180. And 180 turning180.com, got that website where all our sermons are archived at, are from that vision that God gave. If you remember at that time, we talked about being 180 type of people. A person who turns away from themselves in their direction to God 180 degrees. That is what we talked about. And in that sermon series, we also talked about this church being one church on Route 80. I thought that was pretty awesome that God gave us all that. But He also did something else at that time and He began to do some miracles and things in our presence to show us that God was with us. To keep us moving forward to what he wanted for us. Now, this is a side note. A person my height should weigh 180. Is there any congruence with God? Now, I'm not saying you should weigh that, but I should. And God gave me this 180 word several years ago. I didn't even think about that until I put my goals down for my work health. I want to weigh 180. And I'm thinking, that's you know, that's what I've always said. And then God said, well, don't you think that that's what I've been trying to get your attention on for four years? And I said, yes. 180. Now why is that important? Why do I say that? It's because when we turn with our back to God and cast a shadow, we've turned 180 the wrong way, thinking that God did that. If we turn back to God, the light comes upon us and the shadow dissipates because we don't see it. It may be cast behind us. But that's where darkness is. Is behind us. It's in the past. It's no longer part of our present or the life with God that we walk on. It says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians that there's a light that shines on us that is the same light that shows and reflects the glory of God on the face of Christ. God's glory was seen on the face of Christ because He was looking at the Father. When Moses was face to face with God and came down from the mountain, his face shone like the sun. They had to put a veil over him because he was so bright. What I'm trying to tell you is if you look at God, God's going to illuminate you. But if you turn from God, you're going to look at your life and the things that are shadows rather than the presence and glory of God. And you're going to see anything but God looking the wrong direction. So if you don't see God in your life, turn toward Him all the way. Not halfway, not partially, but all the way to His presence and His face so you can see Him. So you can see His light shining in your life. We get so caught up in being busy and schedules and things that we got to do that we never get time to just enjoy and bask in the light of God's presence. Wouldn't it be wonderful to just do that for a while and just soak in God's mercy and grace? A lot of us hunger and thirst for that. But God has no darkness whatsoever. You might say, well, God's putting me through a tough time. God is not putting you through a dark spot. There is no darkness for God to give you a tough spot. God does not produce evil. He does not produce sin. He does not produce wickedness. He does not make unrighteousness. He does not make ungodliness. He doesn't have it to give. He doesn't produce it. The only thing that varies from God's goodness, grace, and holiness in this world and in our lives is our allowing other than God to be in our lives or something to have infested and invaded and we didn't know it. I learned something recently and it and I, I kind of learned it but just didn't really understand it a long time ago. But did you know the enemy has the power to infiltrate your life? And you won't even know it. He'll infiltrate over here and start stirring something up over here and stir up some things inside you and you'll go... Uh, I don't feel God, I don't feel this, and it's the enemy stirring some stuff up. But it's not like you know it, because it's sometimes based in a feeling or a physical uh, pain or problem or a stress or, or a trial, and all of a sudden you're looking at that rather than God. And you're not going, well, the enemy did this. No, you, you look at it, well, you know, this thing happened and, and I kind of got distracted. God didn't cause that distraction. Bring the distraction into the light of God. That's what we do. Whatever draws you away from God, bring it right back into His presence. Say, God, here it is. There's a lot of different things lately I've been seeking the Lord about for us and working through them to make sure it's not just wishful thinking things. Because a lot of things God asks me to do, I get excited about and then it fizzles out because... It wasn't God-generated. It was just my enthusiasm in the moment. Some of us have the ability to have great ideas but not good follow-through. Some of us have great ideas and follow-through. And some people are good at the details, the logistics of another person's ideas. I'm the kind of person who has a good idea and a vision. And sometimes I can actually stay with it for a while. So God recently gave me a vision for our church and things to do. And I said, this is really great. And I got excited and long-term plans. And I mean, I spent hours working on this thing. And then I stopped and I said, God, I don't want to do what I keep doing. That is to make it about me. About what I think is good and what I think it should be. Rather, here's what I'm going to do, God. Rather than me running with this, I'm going to let it go back to you. So here it is, back in your life, back in your presence. And I'm just going to stay there. If you give this thing back to me, you'll give it back to me without darkness without self-will, without my own tent, without my own purpose, without my own thought in it. It'll be all about what you want and you'll give it back the right way, cleaned up, holy, righteous, godly. And it's taken him two months to finally hand it back. And when he finally handed it back, I said, God, it's a lot better looking now. And it's a lot more practical, makes a lot more sense, and it's a lot more like who we are as a church. Next Sunday, I'll share with you what I mean by that. I think also when we begin to struggle in our walk with Christ, what we begin to look at is the struggle. God, where are you? I don't feel you. And we begin to look at our situation and we begin to become inward focused. If you ever did a survey of what in your life would make you happy, What would make you joyful? And most people answer like this. Well, if I had good health, um, if I had enough money, or if I had um, uh, enough uh, to to bless others with, things like that, right? And and I was asked that one day uh, this week, and my answers revealed a lot about how I was thinking. Because my answers were about, well, I'd, I'd like to be in better physical health, uh, you know, I'd like to have less financial stress. I'd like to do more for God. And nowhere in any of my answers did it say, you know, I'd, I'd like to bless the world with God's gift. I'd like to bring a thousand people to Jesus before I die. None of this stuff was in there. Nothing about anything but about my own little circle I stand in and nothing about the world or my family or friends or anything else. Nothing. Talking about debt-free, that doesn't bless anybody else. Talking about, I want to be physically healthy, that doesn't bless anybody else. If that is the end goal of what we think about, is what I was thinking about, we're, we're limited to our circle of our But if we say, I would like to be debt-free so I can give what I was spending on debt to mission work and to bless others, there you go. Because it's a part of the process of getting there to helping others. Yes, I'd like to be physically healthy so I can go out and work in mission fields and do work and continue to bless others with my hands and my feet and my body and be able to bless what I can with what I do. That then is no longer about me, but there wasn't any of that bigger vision. And when the bigger vision is gone, we become inward focused and we begin to struggle and say, Where's God? He's in the bigger vision. He's not in your day-to-day life until you have the bigger vision. It says your day-to-day life is growing towards something. Let me say that a different way because you might have misheard me. God's with you all the time in your day-to-day life. But your day-to-day life is going to feel just like that rather than a part of something bigger. And you won't sense Him in the bigger stuff because you don't sense Him in the littler. But... The bigger vision God has for your life is what drives you. It's what pulls you from where you are to where you know God can move you to. I once was lost, but now I'm found. There was a movement. But there's more to that. I was blind, but now I see. And the vision now that we have, we can now begin to share that with others. But are we just saying, I'm just so happy I can see now. I have a good life because I can see. Or is it so I can see so others can be led who are blind? So I can help others find the same truths and lead them. Do you understand? We are limited by our own environment when we don't look for the bigger vision of God for our lives. We get caught up in local thinking. Self-thinking, if you will. You ever prayed a prayer like this? Oh God, if you just heal my aching, whatever. God, I just need to make this pain go away. I just want you to make it go away. We never tell them why. Usually the answer is, so I don't hurt anymore. But why? What is the benefit? Well, that way, God, I can get out of bed without hurting. But why? If you trail that why down, why this, why that, get it all the way back, God wants you to say, so that I can love others through you better. It's all about God through us. And if you don't start there, then the why you do things loses its power. But God is trying to bless you with gifts from above. That you would be a gift from above. And we're trying to get this worldly gifts and things for this life only. And that's what we think about. And in that way, the enemy has distracted us. And Scripture says when we think about this world, we're under a curse. And that curse can affect us physically, emotionally, mentally, and definitely spiritually. And you can say, well, you know, no one's ever cursed me. No one ever had to say to you, hey, you know, I wish that something bad would happen to you. That isn't what this means. It means when you open yourself up to other than what God has for you, the enemy has free play in your body, in your mind, in your heart, in your emotions, and he can wreak havoc in you and you don't even know the enemy's done it. But what happens is, at that point you've made an agreement with the enemy that you didn't know you made it the enemy. Here's an example. Suppose somebody, as a young child... Sees a snake. And is terrified. Fear, right? Now fear is in the gift from God. The fear of God is wonderful. But the fear of snakes is not a gift from God. It is not a holy, righteous, loving gift. Would you agree? I think we can agree on that. But if at that moment that that person got that fear of snakes a small child said, if you'll just keep me away from snakes, I'll never go near the woods again. Or, I'll never walk in the tall grass again. Or, I, I think maybe you did that because I was being mean to that neighbor kid. I'll never be mean again. And we make an agreement so we don't have the pain to come back anymore. I know it's like this. When my uh, hip's hurting, I go, okay, God, if I don't lean that way, it won't hurt. So I'm not leaning that way. And I never know if it's healed because I never stand upright. You see, a child makes an agreement. And as an adult, we just think it's natural. But it has manifested and grown. So that that fear has implemented itself that I'll never do this. If it's something bad happened while you were trying to do something, you'll say, well, I'll never do that again, because look what that causes. That's an agreement with the enemy, not God. And so we walk along in this condemnation and the curse of that agreement that we've made, and the enemy uses that, and we agree with every step along the way until finally, man, I'm never going in the woods. I'm never going hunting, never going hiking, never going fishing because you never know. And I'm never going in a dark basement or a moist basement. Someone's got to keep that dry because there might be snakes. And there's a stick on the ground we're walking. We'll go, oh, there's a stick. Now I can't be walking on a place where there might be sticks. Do you understand how this can come to paranoia and OCD? And it was just a simple agreement but the enemy has now invaded and now we're doing things to avoid things that are actually good for us. God might say, come apart and pray with me for a while in this place. And you might say, but I'm not good with being alone. I get scared alone. I get scared in the dark. And God saying, come away. Come reason with me. And we don't want to do it. This is what I'm talking about by those agreements. And that's a curse. It's not a, a pox, not a hex. It's a curse. And it stays and manifests itself in our thinking, in our bodies physically, and in our lives. And what happens is, we don't know those things exist. It's true. Now you might be thinking, well that sounds like a bunch of wishy-washiness. It might, until you read verse 18. Verse 18 will rock your world if you get this. It will change everything in your relationship with yourself, with Jesus, that you've been hungering and thirsting for if you catch this. Listen to this. It says, Of God's own will, He brought us forth. uh, Brought us forth from something. I'll get to it. By the word of truth. Or the truth's word. That we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Now, He brought us forth from something. And that's darkness. Why? Because God is birthing us. That brought us forth. He's birthed us. He's brought us forth a new life in Him, in Christ, right? So, if He's birthing us, that means there's a birth process. That there was a need for that. Now, I have to say that as a first fruit in his being birthed, you don't have a choice who birthed you. You didn't have much say in the matter. You were born when you were a baby, and you didn't go, well, I, you know, that's not how I want to be born. You were just born, it wasn't your will that did that. When you're reborn, it's God's will that rebirths you. In uh, John chapter 3, when he talks to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how am I supposed to do, crawl in my mother's womb? And he says, no, the Holy Spirit rebirths you. It's by the will of the Spirit that you're reborn. You can't rebirth yourself, is what I'm trying to say. So, God brings us forth from darkness, from death, to life, to His light, to His truth. And it says, Word of truth. <coughs> word of truth there is gospel. The gospel. The truth of the gospel. And we, we think the gospel, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. That is the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not the extent of the gospel. Otherwise, the Gospels and the Epistles wouldn't say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work it out because it's still being manifested through you. Your life is a product of what you believed and experienced. And this morning, when we begin to look at the word of truth, we're going to hear that God has a specific thing to speak over your life about you that's true true. And it will pull you out of the darkness you've been walking in. And you might say, oh, I'm not walking in darkness. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. But have you broken off the things that you agreed with throughout your life that you still live under the condemnation of? Are you walking in fear? Do you 100% know that you know that you know and you love Jesus, want to serve others and never ever have a question? I promise you... This morning, I can't say that with full conviction. I never had a question about God's existence. You've heard me say many years ago that I'm a skeptic. And and that's a good thing. Especially as a pastor. So, this word of truth. God says something. Speaks a truth into your life. Either through somebody, by the nudge of a Holy Spirit, a word in a book or a movie, or a song, and all of a sudden you go, whoa, I never thought of that before. That's powerful. I need to do that. I need to listen to that. I need to think about that. I need to let that move through me. That's what a Word of Truth does. It begins to cleanse and purify out the junk that's in there. That Word of Truth is God's Word to you that He is working on you to purify you. Now, now, I wanted to uh, wrestle with this next part of this verse because I didn't understand it real well. It says that we would be a first fruits of His creatures. And and I've I've always read this in light of Paul saying Jesus was the first fruit in Romans. That He was the first fruit. The first fruit of many, right? And, And here it's first fruits. And I'm thinking... Well, if Jesus is a first fruit, He resurrected from the dead, then that means when we resurrect from the dead, we'll be a first fruit. It doesn't say that. That's me reading into it. Others reading into it. What it says is that He brought us to be a first fruit. That we are first fruits. Not will be. That we are a first fruits when He rebirths us. Not one day. Not that the resurrection, because his verse very clearly says that he has brought us forth as first fruits. <laughs> first fruits. Do you know what the first fruits is? It's the first thing that comes at harvest time. It's the very first fruit of the harvest. If it's the uh, 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 livestock, it's the firstborn. If it's the uh, agriculture, it's the first picking. And that one belongs to God. And so God is trying to bring His force from the dark to Himself as the first fruits now. Well, that, Pastor, sounds like it's important. What does it mean? I'm glad you asked. You and I have gotten God's Holy Spirit working in us. At the same time, the enemy is trying to tell us God's not doing anything. He's trying to tell you that your life is powerless, that your words are powerless, that your prayers don't get through, that they hit the ceiling and bounce back. He's trying to tell you that the church isn't growing, that it's not strong, that it's in decline and failing and not doing what it should, and all these things. The enemy's trying to whisper into your ears. Because you've made agreements over the years and God is trying to speak a word into you by the Holy Spirit to change how you see God. Now, now we we kind of reason it out like this. Well, you know, uh, my life doesn't have much power, but if God did this, it would, there it would be. Or if... If God would just turn the church around and bring the Holy Spirit and do this and do that, God can do it. And that's how we end it. We know God can do it. Right here it says God has called us out of it for us to do it, to be it, to be the first fruits. Right now. And, and, and that change of thinking is not God can do it. God's done it. He's established His will and His purpose for this church, for your life. He's done it. You have to walk in it and live it and stand in it and say, I am who God says I am. We are who God says I am. And that which is saying otherwise is a curse from the enemy and I've got to get it out of there. Because those thoughts are not gifts from God. They don't belong in a believer's life. They don't belong anywhere near a church that says we can't. God says we can, then we must. Not we should or we could, we've got to learn how, but we'll do it. And God will provide as we are obedient. As the priests who carried the ark into the flooded Jordan River learned that is when the soles of their feet touched the top of the waters, the river would part. They had to make the commitment to go into deep water and God would provide a way then. They couldn't see the water splitting, but when their feet touched, the souls, as the scripture says, that their feet touched the water, the water split and they walked on dry ground. The second time they crossed a, a river, a sea, a body of water on dry ground. It's when they made the commitment to do it. The first time that they did it God parted the waters first. This time they had to go in faith. Oh, uh, what do you mean faith? It means you have to trust that God's going to do what He said He would do and whatever part of you not thinking He will and that He can, especially not through you or us or here or now. You're missing out on what God's saying in this scripture. You are a first fruit right now and His word of truth is in you. Word of truth is God's heart for you to convince you, confirm, encourage, challenge or restore you. This morning I'm going to invite you at the end of the message for a moment of restoration. Before I do, I want to share with you a story about a man named Job. Maybe you've heard his story. Satan asked the father if he could uh, test him. Because Job had everything. Everything a man could want. Wealthiest man around. Faithful, loving kids. Wife. Livestock more than anybody else. Land. Possessions. And Satan said to God, well, he loves you because of what he has. Take it all away and see what he does. And God says, take everything but his life. Same afternoon, his wife dies. His children are gone. His property's all gone. His friends are gone, except for three very annoying ones. Um, If you read Job, you know what I mean. Um, And uh, all his possessions, and then his health, where he wishes to die because he's so sick, and he won't die because Satan can't take his life. He can just make him pretty sick, and, and he wants to die. Satan won't finish the job, he's not allowed to. And, and throughout all this process, Job will not blame God. Nowhere does he say God took it. He said, God gives, God takes away. But it's not God destroying me, He's not sending me bad things. And Job, in his heart, hears toward the end. From God directly. And Job is saying to God, You know, I don't understand these things. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why are these things allowed? And God comes to him and says, Who are you, old man, to question how I work? And he puts Job with some humble pie in his place for two chapters. God speaks to Job for nearly two chapters putting him in his place, talking about all the works of God, what he's done, and Job repents, (laughs) repents for questioning why God would do it. And you know what happens? God restores Job twice. Twofold it says. Some people say, double for all his trouble. He got twice as much as what he had beforehand when all the trouble had started. And he was blessed greater at the end. Now, why do I tell you this? Because when we begin to look at the struggles in our life and we begin to say, well, God's doing this or God's doing that, we don't understand that the enemy is trying to take things. He's not coming to help you. John 10 says the enemy comes to kill steal and destroy. And that's what He does. He takes our health. He takes our peace. He takes all these things because we've allowed Him space that we didn't know He allowed. And one of the things we need to know is that those agreements we've made in our life, throughout our lives, are things that have given Him room. And today, we're going to break those agreements and the curses that are upon us. And we're going to forgive all those people who ever hurt or said or did anything to this church, because I believe this church has lived under a curse from people's comments and thoughts, and we need to walk in forgiveness this morning. And John, uh, John, sorry, Solomon says in his wise. Counsel from God in Second Chronicles. I read it as a call to worship. He said, My people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Unforgiveness will stop God's growth in your life. It will stop you at that point. Whatever age you were that that unforgiveness started at whoever or whatever you were unforgiving toward. Now, I want to share this with you. Every church has people who love it and people who do not. Just true. But this morning, we're going to break the stuff off of this one that says God can't use this church. People said, I will never be in that church ever again. People have said that about every church and this one. And it's a curse. You might say, oh no, it's just somebody saying something. The enemy uses that to attach that to them and someone else because it's not a gift from God. Someone saying, I'll never be in that door and that church again. That is not a gift from God. It's an enemy speaking through them. And speaking about something. And this morning we're going to break that off. And I promise you, once we do that, that word of truth which God has for this church is that He wants us to rise up. To church up. And we can't do it if we're under the curse. Now you say, well, that kind of sounds Old testament stuff. No, listen to me very carefully. Every person is under the curse until the curse is broken. The blood of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary and His resurrection covers all curses. But you have to break them and loose it and offer forgiveness so that there's no attachment and the enemy can't do it anymore. I don't want any more portals, doorways, entryways for the enemy to mess this church's mission mystery up. That's what I'm trying to say. And I don't want it for you. He's done it to my life for 55 years and this last week he quit. I got freedom. I didn't know what it was like to walk without a curse. I didn't know I had one. didn't believe such a thing could exist. I thought I was under the blood and I am. Salvation's sure. But the curse was there because I walked in unforgiveness and I didn't know the curse needed to be broken and someone at the conference prayed over me. I don't even know what they said and it broke. And two days later, I walked around and I said, God, I don't know what, what to do with the church. He goes, yeah, you do. And I go, I do know. And I said, but, but God, I don't know if I'm the one. He said, you do know if you're the one. You are. And I said, that's right. And everything inside me came to agreement. The same way. No question. No doubt. No wondering. I want that for you. I want that for this church. And today, at the conclusion of this message, I'm going to pray the same kind of prayer over you and over this church if you're willing to receive it. But definitely over this church. And if you're willing to receive it, when I offer the time for prayer, then you'll come up to this altar and we'll do it together. And if not, and you're not ready for that, stay where you are and, and watch what God does with those prayed over. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, this morning I know You wanted to break chains that we didn't even know existed. For freedom You set us free. and We just didn't know that, that there were some more steps to that. But I've learned. And I thank You for that. And I'm so thankful that it's not too late for us to do this. It's the right time. That Your Word of Truth has come to us. It came to me. know I didn't understand it. I received it. And I thank You for it. So I'm asking ask you this morning that you would take us this day by the hand, reminding us that the cross has covered it all. There's enough in Jesus Christ to go beyond whatever we've come against and whatever's come against us inside us, in the church, in our community, in others. We come against that this morning, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, we come to that. And we're going to pray here in just a moment, Heavenly Father. So get ready because the prayer is for you to hear from heaven and heal this land. This I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be the first fruits right now. Amen. I'm going to invite you into prayer with the